Well, good morning again, family. Great to be with you this morning. We are in a series that we've started at the beginning of Lent called The Cruciform Life, which means the cross-shaped life. The big idea of this series is that the cross is not just the instrument of execution on which Jesus died, but it shows us how to live. The cross is actually meant to show us how to live a flourishing life. If the gospel of the cross, if the gospel of a crucified Messiah is true, that changes everything. Everything. It turns the whole world upside down. The cross changes our imagination for every single thing in life. That's what we're looking at in this series, the cruciform life. So today we come to the idea of freedom, that the cross, if true, changes for us our notions of what it means to be free. And so our text this morning, in which Paul discusses this, is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 27. We'll also read a portion of chapter 10. You can turn there in your Bibles. You can find it on page 11. Let me pray for us as we go to God's Word. Holy triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we do thank you for the wondrous cross. We long to survey it so that we might not just see it and understand it, but be transformed by it more and more. Help me and all of us give us power from the Spirit today, right now, that we might not only hear your word and understand it, but that we might respond to it with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Your God's word, friends, it is true, it is given to you in love. Paul writes, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. Don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, and they do it to get a crown that will not even last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize." I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Family of God, this is the word of the Lord. So I want to start off with some trivia today, okay? I'm going to mention a series of different quotes and sayings, and I want to see if you can guess where the origin of the quote is from, who said it, where it came from. So first, I'll start easy, okay? Free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, free at last. Who said that? 
Dr. King, that's right. What about this one? What will you do without freedom? Who said that? William Wallace, thank you, Braveheart. Uh, What about this? What's the origin of this? Live free or die? New Hampshire license plate. Yes, New Hampshire license plate. (laughs) Live free or die. How about that on a license plate? Uh, What about this? This 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 is a tough one, good for you English majors. For what avail the plow or sail of land or life if freedom fail? Ralph Waldo Emerson. And what about this one? It's a free country. Every American kid ever. Right? See, all these quotes, they, they, they show us how powerful the notion of freedom is in the American psyche. It captures our imagination. In fact, Robert Bella, who is an award-winning sociologist from Princeton University, after decades and decades of study, said of all of his research, he can deduce that the most important value that trumps all other values to Americans is the value of freedom. We are a people who believe deeply in the power, the force, the necessity of freedom. And as you know, our political landscape is more polarized and more conflicted than it has ever been, yet all sides agree on this, that freedom is our most important value and must be guarded and protected at all costs. We are the land of the free. But all is not well in the land of the free. Freedom is not creating the just and burdened and life-giving society that we dreamed that it would. In fact, it's pretty clear that, at least to me, that freedom in America today has come to mean something very different than what John Locke intended, than what Jefferson intended, than even what some of the early founding fathers ever intended. Because for them, freedom was not just a right, but a responsibility. It was not just something to enjoy, but it was an art to practice. In fact, they recognized that freedom was such a serious responsibility that if misused or misunderstood, freedom and the notions of freedom can become destructive to a society. Someone who wrote of this was Alexis de Tocqueville, the French uh, servant of, who came to the United States on behalf of France, and he wrote the well-known book, America, uh, Democracy in America. And in this book, he wrote this, if individual freedoms are elevated, he warned America, It will mean the unwinding of our democracy and the rise of despotism, resulting in the fraying of our democratic fabric. Prophetic. He's writing that when freedom is twisted to mean the supremacy of individual rights, apart from any tradition or authority and without responsibility to the common good, this spells destruction for a society, destruction for a community. And this is what Paul was witnessing happen in the Corinthian church. Through a warped and distorted vision of freedom, which elevated personal rights above all else, this community was being destroyed. And Paul is urging them, writing them, to come back from the way of wisdom, this way of rights, and to go instead the way of freedom that is shaped by the cross. A cruciform freedom is what he's calling them to here. So here's my thesis today. Freedom may not be what you think it is. Freedom is not what you think it is. Freedom is not the absence of restraints or the exercising of personal rights. Freedom, at least according to Paul here, is the ability to release your rights for the sake of love. Freedom is the ability to release your rights for the sake of love. So let's look at these three things together today. First, let's look at false freedom. What is this 
false notion of freedom that Paul is writing in the, to the Corinthians to combat. Second, what is true freedom? What does he hold up as the right way of freedom that is shaped by the cross of Jesus? And third, what does it mean to exercise a cruciform freedom in our everyday life? Okay? So first, let's look at false freedom, what Paul is combating. Let's talk a bit about context. The Corinthians, similar to modern Americans, were people who relished in their freedom. In fact, Cicero, the great statesman, had just 100 years before Paul waxed eloquently about the glories of the freedom in the Roman Empire. And the Corinthians prided themselves in this freedom. They were free because Corinth was a Roman colony. They had freedoms that other cities did not have. And these particular people that Paul is writing to, the Corinthians who had become Christians, felt especially free because they were now free of Jewish law and its traditions, which they interpreted, as Derek showed us last week to me, that they can do now whatever they want with their lives and with their bodies. The Corinthians' vision of freedom can be summed up here in chapter 10, verse 23, in our text this morning. I have the right to do anything. That was their favorite phrase. I have the right to do anything. Freedom to them meant a freedom from constraints, from authority, freedom to do whatever they liked, and they were twisting the gospel message to justify this notion of freedom. Friends, it is eerie to me how similar their notions of freedom are to our modern view of freedom in America today. This idea of freedom as the absence of personal restraints and the exercising of individual rights has become such a normative definition of freedom in our society, that it is literally codified in law. Some of you have seen this famous quote that says, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. So wrote Justice Kennedy on behalf of the Supreme Court in 1992 in the famous case on abortion. This is one of the best distillations of the American infatuation with freedom that has ever been written. Look, literally, the right to define your own existence. Freedom from any authority but myself. Freedom from constraint. Freedom to live how I want to live. Again, to repeat the Corinthians, I have the right to do anything. But is that really freedom? With all due respect to the people and the men and women in the Supreme Court that are way smarter than I am, I believe that this is a terribly naive and simplistic notion of freedom that is simply untenable with actual real life. And let me just give you a couple of real life examples, okay? First, athletics. Paul actually uses that analogy here in verse 24. He says, everyone who competes goes into strict training so as to win. I know a lot of you just watched uh, recently the Olympic Games on NBC, the Winter Olympic Games, and I love the way that NBC often flashes to show the training regimens of some of these amazing athletes, right? The athlete voluntarily puts constraints upon her own freedom in order to experience the greater freedom of excelling in a sport. So you don't just become a gold medalist, right? You you must choose to limit yourself in a hundred different ways, waking up early, eating healthy food, not having fun for four years, uh, submitting to the authority of a coach, all to experience the greater freedom of standing on the podium, right? In your own life, you have the right to lay on the couch and eat nachos all day long. You have that right. But you cannot then also choose to have a strong and healthy 
life. To choose to limit your freedom by eating less and exercising more is actually to gain a greater freedom of a strong and happy life. So do you understand what I'm getting at? Freedom is not the absence of constraints. It is putting your life under the right constraints that lead you to flourishing. Here's another example. Relationships. To commit to one person, to say, I do, to one person, is to say, I don't, to everyone else. Right? When, when you get married, you realize, I realized when I was 23 years old, I can't suddenly do whatever I want to do and go wherever I want to go. Some men have a hard time with this. Uh, love and marriage involves constraints and limitations, and this is why so many people are often scared of this limitation. Yet to love anyone, this is the great paradox of love, to love anyone in anything means limiting your freedom and surrendering your interests, which in the end is the only way to actually get the fulfillment and the longing that you crave. If you refuse to put yourself under the limitations of love, you will become a lonely, pathetic, and isolated person who is cut off from relationships and meaning. So these are just two simple examples, the point being that freedom as the absence of constraints and the exercising of personal rights to do what I want and live how I want to live is not only untenable and illogical, but it is ultimately destructive to other people and even to you. When freedom is an end in itself, as it often is proclaimed in our land, when freedom is an end to itself, when it alone is your highest good, it is a key without a door. It is a pathway without a destination. Pure freedom to do what you want is not liberating. It's imprisoning. My family makes fun of me because I get completely overwhelmed in the grocery store. In fact, a while back, I actually left my grocery cart full of groceries in the grocery store and ran out because I could not take it. I could not take the limitless possibilities, even just in the peanut butter aisle, right? <laughs> There's crunchy, there's creamy, there's no salt, there's, low, there's no sugar, there's, there's, you know, mixed with honey, there's mixed with jam, there's mixed with marshmallow fluff, there's glass containers, there's plastic. I mean, it's enough to make somebody go crazy, you know? <laughs> these, 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 these limitless choices that we have are not making us happier. They're only making us more anxious and more dissatisfied. There is always the likelihood that we have chosen poorly or could have chosen better. The more choices we have, the less satisfied we are with the choices that we made. See, if freedom is our ultimate goal, in the end, we become enslaved, trapped by our appetites, trapped by our ambitions and hungry desires, driven along by what we want most next. What we often define as freedom is actually slavery. Trapped in the very small cage of our own selfish desires. As the poet Robert Browning put it, so free we seem, so fettered fast we are. So free we seem, so fettered fast we are. This is a false freedom. It's not the freedom that we were made for. So what is true freedom? What is the freedom that Paul then commends instead? Well, this vision of freedom that I have just been describing are what political philosophers called negative freedom, which is freedom from Freedom from oppression, freedom from tradition, freedom from authority, freedom from constraints. And though Paul would certainly agree that through Christ we have been freed from many things, sin, death, hell, and judgment, this vision that he is giving in 1 Corinthians 9 is also clearly what philosophers call a positive freedom, freedom for, that Christ has died and set us free for something 
that we might be liberated to the right kind of life and the right kind of constraints. In a recent and pretty well-known TED Talk, psychologist Barry Schwartz gave a talk about freedom and limits. And at the end of his talk, he threw up this New Yorker cartoon, which I like. And you probably can't read the caption, but it's a big fish talking to a baby fish. And he's saying, you can be anything you want to be. No limits. And what Barry Schwartz said at the end, this is how he closed his talk. He said, the truth of the matter is, if you shatter the fishbowl so that everything is possible, you don't give freedom, you give death. Everyone needs a fishbowl, and the absence of a fishbowl is the recipe for misery and disaster. Now, I like this illustration because when I was in middle school, I threw a chair across the room to scare my little sister which then landed on our 50-gallon fish tank, dumping the entire contents of the fish tank, water, fish, and all, onto the carpet. Yes, this happened. And as I schemed an excuse, it did cross my mind to say to my parents that I was a fish liberator. Uh, (laughs) Which, of course, is absurd. A fish without a fish tank is a dead fish. A fish can only be free when it is given in the right constraints. You are not just freed from, you are freed for. To be really free, you need the right fishbowl and the right limitations, the right constraints. A fish is not free on the carpet. It's made for the water. A sailboat is not free sitting in a yard. It is made for the ocean. And you are not free when you have no constraints or limits. You are only free when you are constrained to do what you were made to do. And what is that? What were you made for brother? What were you made for, sister? You were made for the triune God. You were made for love. You were made to be loved by the triune God, and you were made to love this God and to love neighbor. These are the constraints of love that we are called to. And so for Paul, freedom is not the right to do whatever you want. It is coming under the right constraints, which is the call to love. Freedom is the ability to release your rights for the sake of love, to serve others, to give your life away, all for the benefit of others. Now, friends, listen, nobody says this. Nobody is telling you this. Freedom is the the ability to give and lay down my rights for the sake of others. Nobody's saying that. People on the left aren't saying that. People on the right aren't saying that. The only person who's saying that is Jesus, and Jesus is crazy. Jesus It sounds foolish to the world, and yet it is the wisdom of God. It is the cruciform way, cruciform freedom. And Paul models this. Look at verse 19. He says, I am free and belong to no one. We saw that a couple weeks ago. Remember, I care very little about your opinion of me, and I care very little about my opinion of me. He is a total free Man, the race is over, the verdict is rendered, he's free from sin, free from death, free from judgment, free from the the approval of other people. He is a totally free man, and yet he says, second half, verse 19, I have made myself a slave of all. He has voluntarily surrendered his rights under the constraints of love in order to see others know the joy and the freedom of Jesus. That's what this whole section of verses are about. Chapter 7, he talks about how he has renounced his right to marriage. He had the right to be married, but he's renounced that right. Why? For the sake of the mission of the gospel. Chapter 8, he renounced his right to receive payment for his preaching. Why? To not cause offense to the mission of the gospel. Here in this chapter, he says to his Jewish friends, when he's with them, even though he is totally free to eat whatever he wants, he willingly becomes kosher. 
so that he will not cause offense to the truth of the gospel. But then when he's with his Gentile friends, he happily eats bacon. It's, he's eating bacon on the mission of Jesus. That's what he's doing. Why? To, make, to cause no offense to the gospel. He does all of this that those he knows might share with him in the blessings of the gospel. He is perfectly free, subject to none, perfectly free, servant of all. That is cruciform freedom. Friends, listen, you will only be free when these two things happen to you. First, that you know and follow Jesus. Only Jesus can free you from all that enslaves. Only Jesus can free you from sin, from addiction. Only Jesus can free you from shame and from guilt. Only Jesus can free you from the the all-consuming appetites of your own selfish desires. Only Jesus can free you from the over-preoccupation with the approval of others and your enslavement to performance. Only Jesus can free you from. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. But the second thing that must happen in your life is that you take that freedom that Jesus has now given you and you use it to do what you were made for. Not to gratify the desires of the self. Not to pursue your own good, but to lay down your life and your rights for the love of others. That others might know the freedom of Jesus. So freedom, friends, is not the absence of restraints or the exercising of personal rights. It is the ability, which we now have because of the gospel, to release our rights for the sake of love. But what would this look like? What would this look like if we actually did this in our daily life? If we actually practiced cruciform freedom? just want to end uh, with some practical suggestions, both personally and communally. First, let's talk about what would this look like to practice and exercise freedom in your personal life. In a culture that celebrates life without limits, the cruciform way instead suggests that only within the right limits you will find your freedom. Specifically, limits that help you become the person God made you to be, which is what? Lover of God, lover of neighbor. What limits can you choose that will help you become the person God has called you to be. In verses 24 through 27, Paul uses an athletic analogy that would have been very familiar to the Corinthians because only second in fame to the Olympic Games were the Isthmian Games, which took place where? On the streets of Corinth. So they would have seen these athletes every year. They would have seen them putting limits on themselves, going into strict training and discipline. And Paul says they do all of this for a pathetic crown of lettuce. How much more, he says, we who have been saved by Jesus and who now know what life is really about are called to discipline our lives and voluntarily surrender to limitations that will help us become people who live in love. Paul is exhorting us to do whatever we can in our daily life to deny those parts of ourselves that live for self-gratification and fulfillment and to choose instead, because we now can, to live for God and neighbor. Like anything, this takes practice. It takes discipline. It takes hard work and training. Unfortunately, I wish this were the case. I cannot just wish myself into great physical shape. You know, look like Dwayne Johnson. Just do it. Nothing happens. I can't do it. I can't wish myself into physical shape. And in the same way, you can't just hope or wish yourself into spiritual shape. That just doesn't happen. It, 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 it takes work. It takes planning. It takes intentionality and discipline to become the kind of person that God made you to be, to live in love. And look, you can do all kinds of things, little things in your daily life to become that person. Let me just give you a few very, very mundane and practical examples, okay? You're in the kitchen. 
You walk by the dishwasher, you see the dishwasher light is on, indicating that the dishes are clean. What do you do? Well, here's what I often do. Oh, I didn't see that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'll just let somebody else in the household see that the dishes are clean, right? Because what? Now, I have the right to do that, right? Jesus isn't going to damn me for not cleaning the dishwasher, right? I'm totally free in Christ. But what the cruciform freedom means to go the way of the cross and to lay down my rights for the sake of love. Empty the dishwasher. What about this? You're driving along, and you see this guy. He wants to merge into traffic. He's waiting there. He wants to merge in. What do you do? I'm not. I need that three seconds. I'm not going to let that guy in, right? The other day, I was. I mean, I was sitting there trying to come on Cary Street going west. And I must have sat there as those cars go by. I mean, there were 50, 60 cars going by. I was just like, come on, people, live the cruciform life. You know, <laughs> let me in. But then when I come in the same way, I don't stop for them, right? But what does it mean? Yeah, to mer- to this hap- you have so many opportunities when you're driving to go the cruciform way. Seriously, to lay down your rights, that you, are, you have the perfect right to not let someone merge, but to lay down your rights. And to go the way of the cross. You're in the grocery store. It's 5.45. Your groceries are, you got to get home. You got to make dinner, right? And you're scanning Kroger lines for the, the line that's open. And then you see one that's open. You're making a beeline for it. And here comes a lady. She's got a full grocery cart. What do you do? You speed up, right? To get to that, to get to that, that lane. What does it mean? Cruciform freedom means laying, I have the right to do that, but cruciform freedom means laying down my life. Now you might say, those are such small, silly things. But listen, friends. These small daily choices are what forms a life. Just like it is the unseen daily disciplines of an athlete that pay off when the performance counts, so these daily unseen choices that we make in our everyday life that seem so small and insignificant can change your life and set you on the course to either become a fool or to become wise, to go the way of love. This is how the revolution of freedom begins. Daily small rebellions. Daily death to self. Daily renouncing of your right to go your own way. Daily choosing the way of other love. The revolution of Jesus begins at the dishwasher. It begins in traffic. So that's how you can go the cruciform way personally. But what about, what's a, what is a communal practice? What, what would it mean to practice this communally? Well, Paul's major application here is for the church that those who follow Jesus are now called to relinquish our rights and our privileges for the sake of the gospel, each other, and especially those who don't know Jesus. Now, before I apply this to our church, I want to apply this to the American church at large, okay? I'm not necessarily talking to you. I am talking to the whole American church right now, okay? I I I want to say something pretty strong here. The American church once enjoyed a whole lot of cultural power and privilege, for many, many years. But over the last 50, 60 years or so, our culture has changed. Secularization has seeped in, and frankly, the church has felt threatened. And sometimes it seems as if the greatest mission of the church has become to preserve its own safety and power. And often this has meant getting into bed with political parties and collaborating with nationalist agendas and working with the power brokers of the world, all to preserve our power, our rights, and our privileges. And not only, friends, has this created a tremendous hindrance to the gospel and endless unnecessary offenses to those who do not know Jesus, but I believe it has brought shame upon the cross of Jesus. 
Is this the way of Jesus? Did Jesus fight to preserve his rights? Did Jesus battle to keep his privilege in power? No. Though in the very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be flaunted, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, going even unto death, death on a cross. What if the American church chose to go that way, the way of Jesus? What if the American church decided we will never, ever, ever place fervor for our own rights and freedoms over what freedom means for our Lord Jesus? We will surrender everything and anything that stands in the way of Jesus and his message being clearly known and heard. What if we decided that? The revolution can begin with us. What about for us, third church family? What might it mean for us to exercise our freedom together? Gosh, I have seen this in beautiful ways. I have learned so much from you. Let me just give an example. A couple of years ago, I'm sure a lot of you remember this, we made a difficult decision as a church. We had two different kinds of worship services going on every Sunday. We had a traditional service here with just organ and hymns. We had a contemporary service down there with a band of contemporary songs. And we made a difficult decision. We thought, this is, this is creating disunity in our church. This is separating generations. And this is not exhibiting the unity that others could see that we now have in Christ. And so we made the difficult decision to worship together in this common space, bringing the best of what we have and what we are together here. This was hard. This was really hard for a lot of you. Hard for some of you who were really committed to being here. Hard for a lot of you that were really committed to being there. And there were some of you that really told me that. And one of our dear elder saints, Barbara Satterfield, who's sitting right here, really wrestled with this. It was very painful to her. It was very difficult. And she ended up writing a letter to the whole church. She wrote an open letter to the church. I have it here. And she wrote this, that she was despairing, crying, wondering why this was happening. And then she said, in her mind's eye, she looked and saw the hundreds of young families and young adults with their young children who come every Sunday to third. And she thought, this is the next generation and beyond. These younger members are the future of Christianity and the future of third. And so the Lord opened my eyes to the fact that after all the years that I have had worship my way, I, can now deny, I cannot now deny these young adults their preference of including some of the things that they enjoy. That does not mean that I am not important. It does not mean that traditional worship is not important. And it does not mean that I won't continue to lobby for my favorite hymns. <laughs> but I can certainly sacrifice some of my own rights and desires for more of theirs. That is beautiful. And I honor you, dear sister. And I honor so many of you elder saints among us who have been here for many years, who have laid the foundation for us here at this place, and yet who in so many ways have exercised your freedom by giving up some of your own rights and privileges in order to create room for others. And that is the way of Jesus. And we will continue to need to do this together, Third Church, as we work closer, more closely with the Christian Arabic Church, as we try to make more room for people who now live in the West End, who are of many diverse races and cultures and ethnicities, will need to ask in the years to come, what ways of doing things, what habits and practices that we have a right to, right? But what might Jesus be calling us to willingly give up for the sake of love? Paul was willing to do whatever necessary to welcome people of all backgrounds, cultures, and ethnicities that they might know Jesus and come into his family. And this is very hard to do, especially for people who have enjoyed great measures of privilege and power. Yet can we work our hardest to go the way of Jesus 
to get rid of obstacles or confusing or offensive things, especially to people who are different, to seek to grow in our cultural awareness, to make room for new friends and new people, not to be politically correct, who cares about that, but to do it for the sake of love, because that is cruciform freedom. Our parish groups are amazing ways, places to exercise cruciform freedom. People are excited about these right now. You all are excited about Christian community, but friends, we are in the honeymoon stage. And if it hasn't happened already, you will realize that to be in community, authentic community, is very, very hard, and somebody's got to die. You've got to die to your comfort, die to your rights, die to your preferences. You have the right to be in a small group with no children, no diapers, and no annoying people. You do. You have the right to. Uh, You have the right to be in a small group with people exactly like you, with no socially awkward or difficult people. If you don't know who that is in your group, it might be you. You should be careful of that. Um, You have have the right to be in a a group where you don't have to, nobody has to compromise for anything because everybody thinks exactly the same and everybody's in the same stage in life. You have the right, but you are bound by love. Bound by love. And so we surrender our rights to each other. Why would you do this? Because love requires it. Because we were created for it, not to indulge ourselves, but to give ourselves away for the sake of love. So friends, let me sum up. Freedom is not the absence of restraint or authority. It is not the exercising of personal liberties. It is releasing your rights for the sake of love. And we can do this. Why? Because Jesus has set us free. We are no longer enslaved to our selfish desires. We are whole in him. And therefore, the great mantra of the church is not rights over love, but love over rights. Every single time. That is the way of the cross. Jesus surrendered his glory and lost his freedom so that you might have the freedom from sin and death and hell and so that you now might sacrifice your own rights and freedom for Jesus' cause and for his people. Jesus' pattern is now our pattern. His self-sacrificial death is now the normative pattern for our everyday existence. And you will find, dear brother, dear sister, that the more you surrender to him, the more you give up your life for Jesus and for others, the more you will become who you were made to be. A Christian is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to everyone. May that be so for us. Let's pray. Just give you a moment to do business with your Lord. First, there may be some of you who you know that the Lord Jesus is calling you to surrender your life and your will and your agenda to him. He is the only master uh, who will not enslave and who will not oppress. His burden is light. You are fighting for your own rights and not surrendering to him. Others of you, I know that there are many, many situations that you find yourself in in which conflict is being created by battle for rights, whether it be your marriage, a conflict at work, a situation with a friend, something here at church. In what way might Jesus be calling you to lay down your rights in order to love another and to make space for another that Jesus loves? Speak to him now about whatever situation that might be. We thank you, Holy Trinity, that 
though you are the free God of, over all things and have no responsibility for us or for the world, not only did you make us, but you surrendered to us. That you surrendered your power, you surrendered your lordship, uh, you surrendered everything to make yourself Jesus, the servant of all, so that we might be free. Help us to use that freedom not to indulge our desires, but to be who we are, who we're made to be, lovers of God, lovers of neighbor. Fit us under the constraints of love, we pray. Help us to surrender to you, surrender wholly to you, and surrender to each other. 